Well, this evening is really one of my very favorite presentations. And, uh, and once again, before we, we launch into it, we're going to begin with a review of our last presentation. But before we do our review, uh, if you'll join me in praying to our great Savior as far as possible, let's kneel. Father in heaven, I just, I'm just kneeling here in awe at how you work things out, how you worked it out for us to be here today to complete the series. You are the great I am, and, and you, you work things out in ways that are so far beyond our ability to even comprehend. But thank you for your goodness and mercy, your great power, your leading and Lord, as we, as we get together here, you know, the Sanctuary Father is all about imagery. And, and tonight we're entering into really a beautiful study. And I just pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that the canvas of our minds will be aglow with the colors of things to come. I pray, Lord, that, that this instrument will be hid behind the cross that nothing will be permitted to come between your people and you so that you can pour into their hearts and minds the beauty of who you are and what you have prepared for each one. We ask for your angels, Lord, to, to encircle us, to keep the evil one out, that he won't interfere and annoy. And I think of those who are yet coming, that, Lord, they will be able to make it here. And now, Lord, I pray, teach us. Be our teacher. Oh, may your voice be sweet to our hearts. We pray, we thank you for this and ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. I hope everyone has gotten a handout. Has everyone gotten, a, is, it, is there anyone that has not gotten a handout? There's one over here that needs a handout to my right. Uh, Lauren does. I, don't, I guess I should ask where, are, okay, there, Bill's got the handouts. Okay, good. And he's passing them out back there. All right, some more are heading to get some handouts. You're going to need those. And, uh, and make sure to add those to your book um, so that you're able to later present these, these, these series to others. And <clears throat> this is such a, a unique yet simple way to present the gospel. It's the way God gave it to the children of Israel. And uh, when, we, when we look at what God revealed to them, it makes what God revealed to the Christian church, bringing it together, and you get this holistic picture, uh, a mosaic of who God is, is absolutely beautiful. Bill, we have right here, uh, Lauren, thank you, you're on it. And, um, and so <clears throat> I really want to encourage each one. Miss um, um, Susan has the, the lectures, set them all to her. And uh, if you've missed any, get the copies. And then they're going to be going on the website when Bill and his team are done editing the last uh, seven. Uh, you know, and forgive me if I sound a little paranoid, but after, uh, after 2020, nothing surprises me. But don't assume the web will always be up. If, you know, uh, make sure if you get, get CDs of these presentations, make sure to give a donation to the church for that. But... Um, but later on, you know, download these things onto your, your own computer, but share these things with people. Um, God is going to give you opportunities to do that. 
he most assuredly will. Well, you know, I like to begin with a review. A good teacher always reviews the last lesson before diving into the next. In our, our last study, we entitled it The Sanctuary and the Testimony of Jesus Christ. That expression, testimony of Jesus, is actually found in Revelation 12, 17, and we looked at two of the key credentials of God's last day church. In Lesson 16, we looked at seven identifying marks, but in Revelation 12, 17 are the two key marks. And one of them is that they will keep the commandments of God. So for those who are looking for God's last day movement, and if you look at Revelation 10, it mentions that last day movement. Revelation 11 mentions the approximate time that movement will present itself in the history of, of earth. Revelation 12 places that movement in the context of the great controversy that began in heaven. Revelation 13 is the, is the crisis this movement is about to face. Revelation 14 you reveals the three angels' message that this movement will give. And, and so two of the identifying marks of this movement, one is that it keeps the commandments of God. And, um, and how many of those commandments? It's all 10. There's no discount. Is that right? There's no such thing as 90% loyalty. We're either loyal to God or we're not. It's just that simple. And, and then it mentions that they also have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we studied in Revelation 19.10, allowing the Bible to define its own words, that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the gift of prophecy. And we've looked at how the, the era of God's people is divided into three parts, the Jewish nation, the Christian church, and the remnant church. And that uh, the Jewish church was given the gift of prophecy, the early Christian church was given the gift of prophecy. And the big question was, will God visit his last day people with the gift of prophecy? And in that study, we discovered that, in fact, he did. Um, we looked at four identifying marks of a prophet. And I'm not going to go into that tonight because I did a whole meeting on it. But um, it's very important to remember that the Bible said in the last days, beware of false prophets. It did not say all prophets. So there is a distinction. So if there's false prophets, there's obviously what kind of prophets? There's true. So I leave that with you to study that carefully and prayerfully. My friends, we are at the end and the deceptions are on. The events that are unfolding in our world are telling us that we're almost home. And there's going to be a whole lot of people that are going to bail out on Christ at the very end because they were not rooted in the, in the Word of God. They were rooted in the things of this world. How important it is that we stay focused. Uh, tonight, I hope you have this little piece of paper with you. You might want to refer to that now. The calendar, uh, we're going to find uh, everything about the sanctuary is about Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus. And we're going to find that the, the festivals were actually a prophetic timeline of the plan of salvation. We're not going to spend a great deal of time into this. It's a quick review. Uh, you know the festivals of spring feasts where the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, feast of weeks, and then the fall feasts were trumpets, day of atonement, tabernacle, uh, were the fall, these seven. And um, real quick, the Passover uh, commemorated uh, Israel's deliverance from Egypt. But it was a type, and it pointed forward to the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. It pointed forward to the death of Christ. Jesus died on a Passover. In fact, Josephus tells us, 
The Bible says he's died at the third hour. Uh, excuse me. I think it's ninth hour. It's three o'clock in any case. But that was also the time that the Passover lamb was supposed to be executed. And Josephus, the historian, tells us that when the priest went to slay the lamb at that moment, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. The priest turned in horror and the ra lamb ran away. The sacrifice had been given. There was no more need. The system uh, that pointed to the Messiah and his death had now come to an end because the reality was with us. Then followed the next day was the day of unleavened bread. And that was a ceremonial Sabbath, which in this case, it actually fell on the Sabbath. And on that day, the bread of life slept, rested in the tomb. Then, uh, the, then the day after that was the Feast of First Fruits. And uh, the Feast of First Fruits was actually a commemoration of the coming harvest. And it's the, it was just a presenting of the early uh, harvest, the plants that in this case was barley, and it was waved uh, as a down payment of the, of the harvest that was coming. And it was, uh, it was the, the Feast of First Fruits. And it pointed to Jesus who resurrected from the dead. Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits of those who are going to follow. Uh, then, uh, 49 days or 50 days later is the Feast of Weeks, which is a feast of harvest, a grain harvest. And uh, it was on this day that the Lord pulled out the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, and 3,000 were one to the Lord on that day. There was another harvest, a bigger harvest. Then you have the fall feasts. And the Feast of Trumpets uh, was to announce the coming of the Day of, uh, of uh, Atonement. Uh, and it started 10 days before. And if you use day for a year prophecy, you're looking at a 10-year proclamation given by the Millerite movement leading up to 1844, announcing the, 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 the judgment that was going to take place. Of course, they thought it was Christ coming to earth. Then you have the Day of Atonement, which is the great day of judgment. And we studied how at the end of the 2300-day prophecy, it began, which is October 22, 1844. So now, tonight we're going to look at the Feast of Tabernacle. And it was also a, uh, a harvest celebration. And it actually celebrated uh, the fact that all the harvest was in. The season was over. And, and interestingly enough, God was revealing to Israel in one year the entire plan of salvation. The whole calendar of salvation. Very, very interesting. So we're actually looking, <clears throat> this festival points us to an event that will take place at the very end uh, or after the, um, the, the judgment. And we're going to study what that is. So if you have your, your handouts, I will begin by reading the opening paragraph. And it says this, The Feast of Tabernacles was the last feast in the yearly round of services and pointed forward to the final act of the entire plan of salvation. It began on the 15th day of the seventh month. When the harvests were all gathered from the field, vineyard, and olive groves. And it was kind of interesting. You know, God gave to Israel a calendar that was really based all upon the plan of salvation. Their whole life revolved around it. It was to be kept fresh in their mind. And God, who is a master teacher, used lots of illustrations. So it actually commemorated their, 
uh, wilderness wandering. They're wandering through the wilderness uh, as they were heading to the promised land and entering in. And so what God would do is he would have the families not live in their houses but create huts based off of palm trees or whatever. And it was, it was like the whole family, the whole nation went camping during this period is basically what it amounts to. But what God was doing was trying to communicate that to the next generation, that they would know that God was leading them to a promised land. That it was God who provided for them during their wilderness wanderings. It took care of two million people in a wilderness that they couldn't even grow crops because he was providing their food for them and their shade and a nightlight in the evening. And so when the kids were having fun, they would ask their parents, why are we doing this? And it would provide a learning, teaching moment for them. Let's continue. The Feast of Tabernacles followed the Day of Atonement, which we learned was symbolic of the judgment. Therefore, the Feast of Tabernacles must point to uh, an event which comes after the close of the judgment. This feast takes us forward to the great day of final in gathering, when the Lord of the harvest will send forth his reapers to harvest in his beloved children. One day, very soon, the ransomed host will journey across the recreated earth to attend the feast at the Father's harvest home. They will then dwell in the new Jerusalem, in the Father's mansions made especially for them. What will it be like? Will it be a real place? What kind of things will the redeemed of all ages do? Let's study to find out. You know, when I was young, I went to a Christian school, and I was lost. You can go to a Christian school and be lost. <laughs> I was lost in a Christian school. And I remember them talking about heaven and whatnot, and I, I guess my Catholic background really influenced me, but to me, heaven was this ethereal place where... You know, there are all these clouds, and I don't know, I, I always picture these fat, naked babies and, and, and everybody playing harps, and I thought, you know, I, I just can't figure out why that would be like a, the, the thing to do for the rest of eternity. I, it just didn't do it for me. It just didn't, didn't seem like any place I wanted to go. I mean, yeah, okay, it's nice, but I did not want to go. That didn't seem like fun for me. Years later, when I opened this book for myself, began to read it, study it, I began to realize that I had not been told the, the half, that heaven actually was a real place, and we will actually be doing real things. So let's take a look and see what the Bible has to say about the, about the earth made new. Number one, what did Jesus promise his people? In John fourteen twelve, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many what? Mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. We have a room waiting for us in our Father's house. Two things about that. You know, when uh, Swan and I were, were living in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, it was a small church, and... We were young, and we were very much involved with that church. In fact, we did a lot. We wore many different hats. And, you know, there were times that we just needed a break. And uh, Swillen's father and mother lived about 
two hours away, and we would go to their home, and I knew that in that home was a room waiting for us, and we could just rest there. It was amazing. And what's more amazing is knowing that God, our Heavenly Father, is preparing a place for you and me. Now, you know, I've been to many hotels. I've been to really nice ones, and I've been to real cheesy ones. And, uh, you know, they're all kind of um, the same, at least the way they're laid out. Some a little different than others, but some are more gussied up than others. But pretty much, you've seen one, you've seen them all. I can assure you that the home that God is preparing for us, in the room he's preparing, will not be cookie cutter. He knows you. And that room, he is going to design it the way you would have wanted it designed if you had a say in it. On that day when we arrive, we're going to open that door into our room and we're going to walk in and we're going to say, wow, I really like that. And we're going to, no sooner are we recovering from that, we're going to say, oh, I would have put that there. And oh, I can't believe it. That's exactly what I wanted. And we're going to go through that whole place just like that. No cookie cutters in the home that God is preparing. No cookie cutters. Number two. And can you, by the way, can you picture that night so long ago when Jesus was explaining that to his disciples? How precious. Number two. What else do we know about this place Jesus is preparing? Isaiah 65, 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be what? Remembered or come to mind. Can you say amen to that? It'll be a new world. I want to ask you something, friends. You think there are going to be trees there? How about crystal clear rivers? Beautiful mountains and plains, lakes and blue skies, and beautiful animals. You bet. In Hebrews eleven sixteen, it says, for he has prepared a what? A city for them. You know, I grew up in a city. I don't have much use for them. I was born in Manhattan, New York. We lived in Chicago, and I grew up in L.A. <laughs> if I don't see another city, I will be quite happy. But this one is going to be different. And we're going to unpack some things about that city. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. God is going to give this planet to us. This world has been a trail of tears, hasn't it? That one, the tears are wiped away. Isaiah 65, 21. They shall build what? Houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. You know, so here Jesus is preparing a place for us and we are going to build houses. So let me share with you the picture that's coming to my mind. The Father's house that has prepared a place for us is where you and I are going to go to each Sabbath to worship our Heavenly Father. But, but out there, we get to build our place. Have you put much thought into where you're going to build your place? I see some of you nodding. Yes. Absolutely. You, and, and, and what are you going to build with? You know, I want to build my place 
near a lagoon because I love the ocean. Now, granted, the ocean isn't going to be as big as, as it is now, but there's going to be seas. I mean, where are you going to put the whales, right? There's going to be large seas. And, <clears throat> and I want to put mine next to a lagoon with my part of my living room hanging over with an open place so that the dolphins can come visit me. My favorite critters are dolphins and otters. They're both very mischievous, which might give you some insight. Well, but, but I love these critters, and I want them to come visit me, and I want to be able to dive in and, and, and go with them. And then, what are we going to build our houses with? You realize we're not going to be going through the woods chopping stuff down. You know, there's going to be signs, you know. You can't cut stuff down here. And, um, and so... It's good. They're going to be made out of precious metals and, and beautiful stone. And uh, whenever I go to a rock museum and I see something I really like, you know, we all have a recording angel with us. I go, you know, I don't know how to pronounce that, but I want that in my house somehow. So can you kind of put that on the list? And, um, but it's going to be a real place. And I remember our son uh, when, we were, when they were little, we'd talk about heaven. He said to me one night, he says, Dad, I want to build mine on a cloud so that as it moves, the whole world will be my backyard. And I remember thinking, I was about to say something, but I'm so glad I shut my big mouth. But I was going to say, you can't do that. But I thought, you know, maybe you will be able to do that. And then Sarah, she was so cute, she'd have her whole room full of animals, and then she would tell me when she gets to heaven, she wants the real ones in her room. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was so incredibly awesome. But my friends, do we put much thought? Don't let the devil rob you of that. As you think more of heaven, it'll become more and more real to you. But we are going to have the opportunity to build our own place. Take a look. And then, by the way, on Sabbath, in my mind, I just picture people heading to the Father's house. And I, I just see these little, little groups of pilgrims and then joining together in these, these just streams of people heading there, singing that song, marching to Zion, you know, as the Sabbath hours approach. Oh, that's going to be so awesome. Let's take a look at number three. What more do we know about the holy city? Revelation 21, 16 says... The city is laid out as a what? A square. Its length is as great as its breadth and is measured, the city, with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its breadth, its height are equal. So if you want to put that into miles, you're looking at about 375 miles per side. Uh, so if you need a little reference for that, that is about the size of the state of Oregon. That's going to be the size of the city. Uh, Revelation 21, 2 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, what? New Jerusalem, coming down from where? From heaven, from God. So, I'm going to flesh this out a little more, but let this register in your cerebrum that wherever heaven is, uh, New Jerusalem is, the capital of heaven is going to be relocated here. Keep that in mind. Uh, the next is Revelation 21, 10, and 12. The holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, had a great and high wall with what? Twelve gates. And those gates, of course, are representative of uh, the twelve apostles. And we're told that each of those gates will be the size of a pearl. It'll be, it'll be a pearl is what it is. It's a pearl. And I marvel, and I just wonder to myself about the clam. 
that that thing would have come from. <laughs> that's going to be huge. I'm just going to wonder how all that worked out. But don't you know that's going to be absolutely beautiful? Um, Revelation 21:18, and the construction of its wall was of what? Of jasper, beautiful, polished. And in Revelation 21, 21, the street of the city was pure what? Gold like what? Transparent glass. And, you know, gold, when we see it in its gold color, is, is actually contaminated. Um, gold, in its purest state, is actually transparent. How many of you ever seen a lead goblet, lead crystal? I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, how can that be? Lead is gray. And here is this glass that's completely transparent. But when it's, in, it, when it's pure, it is that way. And how many of you got, dipped your finger and started rubbing it along the edge? Come on, how many of you have done that to make it sing? Absolutely, how cool is that? But gold in its, in its uh, purity is actually transparent. So picture this for a moment. This red stone, this transparent glass, all interworked through the city underneath and then God, who is light, you're looking at a city that's going to radiate. All that gold is going to act like a fiber optic, and it's going to carry light. It's going to, it's going to glisten like a jewel. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. Let's take a look at question four. What does the Bible say about the city's water supply and food supply? Revelation 21 says, and he showed me a pure what? River of water of life, clear as what? Have you ever seen water that you can describe clear as crystal? You know, I have seen lots, of, and up here, the lakes up here are, are, are beautiful, and you can see deep. But I've never seen a water that ever made me think of, clear as, of this text until I went to Deland, Florida. Anybody ever been there to see the manatees? Deland, Florida? It's kind of hard for my to guess to get there, but... Um, I went out there, and, you know, the water is actually coming out of a spring, and it's warm, and the manatees come here in the wintertime to get warm. That's why they come to this area in land. And we went over there, and there was a little area, an overlook area, and we were looking into the water. That water was so clear. There were large fish in there, and they just looked like they were suspended in midair. I was looking down at that going, that's crazy. I've never seen water so clear. But I bet it's not even nearly as clear as what the Bible here is describing. Revelation 22, 2 says, In the middle of the street on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, and each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You know, it's really interesting as I read this text. First of all, we're looking at a massive river and this tree of life, the trunk, is on either side meeting in the center and this tree is producing this fruit and its fruit and its leaves are for the continuation of life for, for humanity. It's really interesting that when, if you look at the Eden Garden uh, meal, food that God gave us, vegetables wasn't part of that because we had the tree of life. Then when the tree of life we were separated from it, then veggies came into the picture. And, and so once again, the tree of life is in, so veggies are out. <laughs> and it's fruits, nuts, and grains again that the Lord is going to give to us. But this was what's going to perpetuate our life in a reminder, a perpetual reminder of our dependence upon God. By the way, we're going to be growing our own food. And it's a good idea to start doing it now. Very, very important. Of course, a lot of health reasons for that as well. 
and, and, and character reasons too because what we eat affect how, affects how we act. Isn't that true? So important. Let's continue. Question number five. What else does the Bible tell us? How will, how will living on the earth made new be different from living here on earth now? Well, Isaiah 35.5 says, Then the eye of the blind shall be what? Open. There'll be no blindness there. And um, I can't help but think of Fanny Crosby, the, the famous hymn writer. And of course, she was blind. And um, her pastor once said to her, Fanny, if I had the gift of healing, I would restore your sight to you. And Fanny said to him, if you had the gift of healing, I wouldn't let you. She said, the day I see, I want the first thing I see to be my Savior. And so she was waiting for that day. Isaiah 35, 5, the ear of the death shall be what? Unstop, hearing. People will be hearing. Isaiah 35, 6, then the lame shall what? Leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. You know, in 2007, I was doing this series in Hendersonville, North Carolina, in an auditorium. And uh, I read this text wrong. I read it, and the lamb shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the blind, and the tongue of the dumb sing. And, uh, you know, lambs leaping, they, nothing weird registered in my mind, so I didn't catch it. But in the back of the auditorium that night was a man in a wheelchair. And I saw him racing down the aisle, and he said to me, Pastor, you read it wrong. And I looked back, and the lame shall leap like the deer. Yeah. I thanked him for that. That's right. There'll be no lame people there. Isaiah 65, 25, They, the beast, shall not what? Hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. No more predators, my friends. Isaiah eleven six. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and a little child shall what? Shall lead them. What a peaceful scene. Isaiah 35, 1. The desert, shall, the desert shall rejoice and what? Blossom as the rose. There'll be no desert there. You know, in Chile, they have a desert. They haven't had rain in 3,000 years. There will be no desert. Everything will be beautiful there. Isaiah 33, 24, and the inhabitants shall not say what? I am sick. No more COVID. No more cancer. No, all gone. In Revelation 21, 4, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor what? Yeah. And it won't be just humanity that will be relieved. It will be all of nature that will be relieved. You know, and can you imagine, in, in the earth made new, there'll be no, no more police. There'll be no military. There'll be no medical professionals. There'll be no prisons. There'll be no zoos. It's just amazing how much of what we do here in this world is built around the damage of sin. By the way, in the meantime, I am so thankful for the police. Aren't you? Praise God. And for all these professionals that we have, because we need them now. But the day is coming. By the way, I don't think you're going to need pastors. I'm good with that. <laughs> 16, uh, verse 6, rather. Number 6. What kind of bodies will the saints have? Philippians 3, 20 and 21. And the Lord Jesus Christ will what? Transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Jesus had a real body. And you know, friends, is it good to know that the best is yet to come? 
you know, I was just, I, I've had surgeries. I'm missing parts now. <laughs> My brother-in-law just had uh, an, an emergency appendectomy, and I talked to him today, and I go, you're missing, you know, you've got parts missing now, brother. <laughs> but the Lord is going to restore everything that, we, that has been taken from us from, from sin. Isn't that beautiful? We're going to have real bodies. And uh, let's see, the next text brings this out. Seven, is Jesus' real? Is Jesus' body real or is it a spirit? Luke 24, 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have what? Flesh and bones, as you see, I have. You know, Jesus, when he took on flesh and bone, became part of us. He's linked to us now for all eternity. You know, oftentimes people will get a transfusion, perhaps, if they've lost a lot of blood and they're on the verge of dying, they'll get a transfusion for life. The human race was going to die, and Jesus transfused himself into the race to save us. And forever, he's going to be part of us now. We're going to flesh that out a little more. Number eight, what other encouraging promises, promises given Acts 3, 20 and 21 says that he may send Jesus Christ whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of what? Of all things. My friends, a better day is coming. Everything is going to be restored. You know, and I, I think for me the most beautiful place on earth is like Hawaii. Been out there and I just think it's absolutely gorgeous. In my mind I see pictures but the most beautiful scenes of Hawaii will not compare to what God has prepared for us. It will not compare. No one's going to think about Hawaii once we get a load of what God's prepared for us. And you know, the work of Satan, when, when, when God created this world and Adam and Eve, that happy couple, were enjoying the beauties of, of the new earth, it was Satan's purpose to separate humanity from God forever. And so he came up with this plan, but now, because of man's fall, Man will be closer to God now than if he had never fallen because Jesus now is one of us, Emmanuel, God with us. He is one of us. Let's take a look at the note right below question eight. Praise God. Every glorious thing that was lost by the entrance of sin will be restored in God's new kingdom. The atonement will be complete and all people will be genuinely Will, will genuinely love, trust, and support each other. As a result, there will be no more violence, no more betrayal, abuse, disloyalty, dishonesty, backbiting, insecurity, depression, danger, disappointment, or heartache. It will be joyful, happy, contented, and abundant living for eternity. You know, it's really interesting. <clears throat> you know, I... I have learned when I read the Bible to really hang on the words. You know, that's how we communicate. And Bible writers didn't exaggerate like we do. And so it's a, I've learned to really hang on what they're communicating. Um, and, and David, writing of God, he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. When you're full of joy, can you cram any more in there? <laughs> It's full, complete, totality of what joy is, is in His presence. So the further you get away from His presence, the less what you have. Joy. Does that make sense? 
And so as you draw closer to him, your joy grows. So, so as God reveals more of who he is, what happens to our joy? It increases. So through all eternity, as we come to know God better, through, through the plan of salvation, the universe has received a revelation of who he really is they could never have seen without the fall of man. So at that moment, the capacity for the universe to experience joy and happiness and love increased because God's revelation increased. So let me just break that down for you this way. Each day that we spend in heaven with God, we will learn more about him. And in that knowledge, our happiness will increase each day. So imagine, if you will, if I said to you, hey, how would you like to be happier each day than you were the last for one year? 365 days. Each day you were happier than you were the day before. I mean, would you be in for that? Okay, try that for a whole year. Okay, try that for five years. Try that for a hundred. Try that for a thousand. Try that for a million. Try that for eternity. You would think at some point you'd just kind of go, wouldn't you? So filled with love and joy, yet the capacity to experience it will increase with the revelation. Amazing. Let's continue. Number nine. Will sad or painful memories of this life trouble people in heaven? Isaiah 65, 17. The former thing shall not be what? Remembered nor come to mind. I want to address two things right here. <clears throat> when we commit a sin, who's, who takes ownership of that? We do. Every sin we commit is recorded in at least two places. One is in the books of heaven. The other is in our memory. It's not for, we may forget. It's stored. It's all there. When we give our lives to Christ, we ask Jesus to forgive us. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin. So when we ask for forgiveness, our, our sins are transferred onto Christ, and he transfers them onto the sanctuary. We learned that in the series. But on the Day of Atonement, when those sins are cleansed, and it is seen that we really did ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, what happens to those sins? They're placed on the high priest, and where does he place them? On the scapegoat, on Satan, who represents who? Satan. So those sins now that were on the books, because when we ask for forgiveness, next to the sin is the word pardon written in the blood of Christ. But on the Day of Atonement, those sins are blotted out. They're removed. And they're now placed on Azazel as the instigator of sin. He is now recognized as the responsible agent for that sin. So what are you saying, Pastor? That as the record of our sin is removed from the book of heaven, it is removed from here. Can you say amen to that? The other thing, too, is there will be some bad memories, I'm sure. I mean, who hasn't been through this world and hasn't had bad memories? How is God going to deal with that? You know, uh, I think there's a principle that God has placed in our mind, a law, that beauty overrides ugliness. When Sola and I were living in Wilmington, we bought our first house. It had been abandoned, so we could afford it. 
and uh, it was a repo. And so I, and when we bought this house, this house is a disaster. Oh, mercy. It was, it was built in the 60s, and all of the beautiful decor of that era graced that house. All of that avocado green and that goldenrod yellow. It was nauseating. And the paneling was this dark, 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 dark paneling. And there was a light in the, in the living room. And when you flipped the switch on at night, it just glowed around the light bulb. <laughs> and the rest of the place was still dark. And, uh, and the house in the, in the living room, I, I am pretty sure the guy had a motorcycle because you can see that he was doing donuts <laughs> in the living room. And then our stove, we had one burner that worked. And the countertop, the color, I didn't know countertop colors can actually fade. But this was like gone. And uh, anyway, so Swole and I, you know, and we praise the Lord, we worked hard to redo it. And, uh, and God blessed our humble efforts. And one day we were done. If the only house we ever finished, actually. Three months later, God called us out. But anyway, we were, we had finished this house. And Swole and I were standing in the, in the it, just enjoying the, in, in the glistening of new paint and the new floor and, and the new stove. And, and Swellen says to me, you know, I can't remember what it looked like. And I looked over at her and I thought, I couldn't either. And I thought of this text. And I can't help but think that God has placed a law in her mind that the beauty of the place will, will make everything here not worth remembering. It'll be forgotten. Number 10. By the way, the only remembrance we will have of our experience will be the scars. And they will be glory to us because they will communicate that our name is written there, that he gave his life willingly for you and me. Number 10, will people on earth recognize each other in God's new kingdom? You realize we're going to look a whole lot better than we do right now. Okay, we're all going to be young. We're going to look a whole lot better and uh, the way we're intended to be. But will we recognize one another, I guess is the question here. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, then I shall what? No, just as I also am known. The answer is yes. Not only are we going to look the way we're supposed to, but our ability to recognize will be enhanced. Each of us have our own personality and our own way of communicating and walking and whatnot. We will have no trouble recognizing one another on the earth made new. Number 11. What other thrilling promises does God give us regarding his coming kingdom? Isaiah 35.10. And the ransom of the Lord shall come to Zion with what? With singing, with everlasting joy. Yes, heading to our Father's house, marching to Zion. Absolutely. Psalm 16.11. At your right hand are what? Pleasures evermore. Is God against pleasure? No, he's all about pleasure. The thing is that this world has been perverted to destroy us. And he's trying to save us from it. But no, he's all into pleasure. But good, wholesome pleasure. <clears throat> Zechariah 8.5. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls. What? Playing in the streets. I would imagine children who died here. Who didn't. You know, we have a pastor friend of ours in Hendersonville uh, a couple weeks ago. In fact, this last Sabbath had a memorial for their eight-year-old son. And... <clears throat> He didn't have, he didn't get to finish growing up here, but he'll finish growing up there. 
and the streets are going to be safe. There'll be no predators. There'll be no kidnappers. It will be a place that will be safe to grow, to let our children play and grow. The next one, letter, am I on C or D? D. Uh, 40, verse 31. They shall run and not be what? Weary, they shall walk and not faint. You know, this is becoming more precious to me with every passing day. Isaiah 40, 31. They shall what? Mount up with wings as eagles. So, you know, after the fall, this planet was quarantined. By the way, that is the proper use of the word <laughs> and, uh, and function. We were, quarant- we're a quarantined planet. We we're the only ones that fell. But, but when, when the curse is over, we're going to be able to travel the worlds afar. You know, there are people that say, you know, we, this, uh, the people uh, on this planet, we're, we're the only ones in the, in the universe, is so, such a self-centered thought. It's very childish. Uh, you know, Hubble taught us that if you get a grain of sand and you hold it up against the night sky, that the piece of sky that's covered by that grain of sand, contains thousands of galaxies, each about 200 billion stars. No, we're not alone. Our great creator in this vast universe has created other beautiful beings that were smarter than us, that they didn't fall for the devil's lie. And travel isn't going to be an issue. You know when you pray, angels answer you right away. I can assure you they're not traveling the speed of light. That's too slow. We're going to discover that they were traveling the speed of thought. We'll be able to travel the universe to see the beauties and the wonders of God's massive creation. Twelve, can we adequately describe God's new kingdom with words? 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has what? Has prepared for those who love him. If right now an angel of God appeared in our midst and said to us, I will take one of you with me to see the new Jerusalem, to get a a glimpse of what God has prepared, and then you can come back and share with the others. And so we all got together, we drew straws, and Janet won. And so Janet and the angel whisk off, and we're just waiting around here, looking at our watches, waiting for Janet to come back. And finally, Janet and the angel comes back and she is glowing. Her eyes are glistening, the smile on her face. And she looks at us and she says, it is so beautiful. It is so amazing. It is gorgeous. And pretty soon the tears will well up in her eyes because the human language is inadequate to adequately describe what God has prepared. With the tears streaming down her face, she would look at us and say, just don't miss it. Just don't miss it. You know, I saw a bumper sticker. I haven't seen it in years. I saw it a couple weeks ago. It said, heaven, don't miss it for the world. (sighs) Something for us to keep in mind, friends. We're almost home. Hang on. Don't let anything in this world take that away from you. You know, the truth is, if we had just one glimpse, one glimpse of what God has prepared for us, we would be so sick of this world. It would be such a dark, depressing place. We couldn't handle it. We just couldn't. 
you know, when we finally get there, I can promise you this, no one is going to ask for their money back. No one. Number 13. <clears throat> what is the highest reward of God's new kingdom? Revelation 21.3 says, and God himself will what? Be with them. Eden restored. You know, <clears throat> I want you to think about this. Satan wanted to separate God from man forever. But now because of the fall, we're closely, more closely tied to him than we ever could have been. We know God intimately, experientially, like no other being in the universe ever will because none of them were reclaimed from sin and the power of sin. So God, God, wherever heaven was out there in the cosmos, once the earth is made new, is going to relocate his capital here. And he'll be with us forever. And to me, that's amazing, you know, whenever I, I see pictures of the UN and I see these, these people from different countries representing their countries and cultures and they come with their unique dress, I think of what it's going to be like when the representatives of other worlds come to meet with God. They'll be coming here and we'll be able to see it. How cool is that going to be? Number 14. And by the way, that will bring to fulfillment that expression, heaven on earth. 14. What will exclude people from God's heavenly kingdom? Revelation 21, 27. But there shall by no means enter it anything that what? That defiles. My friend, don't ever forget God is love. God is what? That God does not have love. He is the personification of love. Love exists because God exists. God is it. That means God has limitations. God is incapable of doing anything that isn't motivated by love. Every command of God is an expression of love. Lucifer rebelled against love. That is insanity. Love is not a mistake. I mean, sin is not a mistake. You should have turned left, you turned right. Sin is not even breaking God's law if you do it ignorantly. Sin, Jesus said, it, uh, to him who knows it to be sin, it is sin. Him who doesn't know it to be sin, it isn't. Are you with me? So sin is knowing God's will and making a conscious choice to go against it. That's what the angels in heaven did and that's why they were kicked out and no one is going in that way. God has sent us the Holy Spirit and through His power, if we will believe Him, He will transform our lives and make us anew and prepare us for the new kingdom. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Be faithful, my friends. Be faithful. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not, will, will, excuse me, will what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to know something. I don't know what you may be struggling with, but I promise you, God's bigger. And if you will cling to Him and give Him permission to transform your life and make the choice each day to follow, He will unleash His power in your life and set you free. And you're hearing it from one sinner to another. God is faithful. He is faithful. Number 15. What can I do about sin? 1 John 1.9 reminds us if we what? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to what? 
to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness because of the Lamb of God. And it's not because you deserve it. You don't. <laughs> Neither do I. But it's because He's good. And He cannot lie. He's promised. Because He knows there's no other way for us. We are toast without Him. And, and I shared this with you, and I think it bears repeating. When we talked about the sanctuary as an experience with God, a walk with God, we talked about how um, we come to the outer court, the, the curtain, and that curtain represented Christ. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are burdened, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's the invitation to come in. We come in, we find the cross of Jesus, the place where sin and sinner are separated. Then the, the, ba- the water, which represented baptism, after we ask him to forgive us our sin, we commit our life to him. And then we ask him each day to fill us with the Holy Spirit, which is the oil, and we go to the, the table of showbread, the bread of life, which is his word, we spend time. And then in the, in the golden altar, which represents prayer, and, and we do this each day. This is known as the daily, right? And each day we do this. And when we're reading the word or maybe in prayer, God reveals to us a sin. Remember, we learn at that moment we come back to the altar and we confess that sin and ask God to forgive us, right? Then we recommit ourselves to God and continue that journey with him every single day. Isn't that true? And of course, if we don't ask for forgiveness, then we leave the sanctuary process. There is no uh, covering for uh, known ongoing sin. Is that you know, conscious? Is that right? But we ask for forgiveness. But in this process, on the outside of the sanctuary was this. It was a curtain made out of linen all around. And while we're in that, do you know what this curtain represented? the righteousness of Christ. And while we're in this process, this growing process with him, he has got us covered. That's the lesson of the sanctuary. As long as we're in the process, he's got us covered. Don't ever forget that. Our next question, where are we here? Number 16. What did Jesus say is the formula for success in this life and the next? Matthew 6.33. But seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and how much? All these things will be added unto you. You know, everything in this world is passing away. Don't live for this world. Right now, we're seeing all kinds of stuff happening. Don't try to decipher it through CNN, through Fox News, through the internet. The devil is using all of it. And if you get caught up in that, you're going to lose your soul. Interpret it all through this. Through this. This is the great lie detector. This is what God has given to us to reveal himself to us. And, and we all have struggles, and I just want to share with you, it's nothing compared to what's coming. But God gave himself as a covenant. He made a covenant with each one of us that he's going to take care of us. Now, we have to obey him, <laughs> Right? And then, and as we follow what he tells us to do, then he has the judicial right to protect us. But do you remember that story in the Old Testament? It's an amazing story. But when God entered into a covenant with Abraham, Abraham got those sacrificial animals and cut them in half. Remember that whole business? And, and then, you know, he kind of made sure that all the, 
vultures and stuff stayed away. And, and then all of a sudden, he saw in vision, he saw God in his radio, he called it a, like a fire, a furnace, walking down the middle of those dead animals. And I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, okay, that is like really weird. And what, let me tell you what was happening. In that culture, when you enter into a covenant, and you divided the animals like that and walked between them. What you were saying, what you were now initiating, you're putting the covenant into effect. And you are now saying, may, if I break the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. It was a guarantee that that covenant wouldn't be broken. That God would condescend to enter into Abraham's understanding of, of the, of, of, to, to communicate to him his part of the bargain, how serious he was about the bargain, that he would walk down that and say, may this happen to me if I in any way break my deal with you. My friends, he committed himself. Trust him. Listen to him. He, he has laid it all on the line for you and me. He's promised. You can trust him. You can. I have learned in life that before there's sin, there's distrust. Distrust always opens the door for sin. We can trust him completely. Put him first. He'll take care of your needs. Number 17. And let me rephrase that. Or let me emphasize that. Put him first. Put him before your job. Before your relationship. Put him before uh, your material needs. Make sure you honor him first. And he'll take care of the rest. Promised. 17, what is the final invitation in the Bible? Revelation twenty-two seventeen 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Every one of us has a standing invitation to our Father's house. Jesus has paid the price for your admission. Now it's up to us to trust him day by day as he leads us to the eternal city. I want to end with a quote. I read this book years ago. It was a book given to me by my mother. And out of guilt, I carried it with me. I was still a heathen and I didn't want to read it. And, uh, and then when I finally did find Jesus and I, and I began reading this book, it really changed the course of my life. The book is called The Great Controversy. And I just want to read the last paragraph in this book. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness through the realms of illimitable space, from the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. He was who he claimed to be. God can be trusted. And here, my friends, is the final appeal of this study. Is it your desire to develop a beautiful relationship with Jesus through daily Bible study, daily prayer, and a faithful life of service? 
that you may be among the people who enter the holy city. Is that your desire? You know, I want to encourage you all to keep these studies handy, to ask God to give you opportunities. Perhaps this year, just ask Him to bring one person, just one person to you that you can study with. And then this fall, um, there's going to be a series uh, Pastor David is going to give. I'm going to ask you to be lifting your servant pastor up in prayer. And as you approach this series, realizing that it's happening under the shadow of, of incredible events, unprecedented events around the world, approach this series as though it, it is going to be your last. God will bless you. And I pray that one day we will meet again, but this time under the tree of life. Let's close with prayer. Our Father, thank you for the time you have given to us. It has been a miracle, truly, that you have provided that has made it possible for us to get through this series. And it happened because you wanted it to happen. Thank you. We thank you, Lord, again for loving us so, for risking so much. And then, Lord, in spite of all we put you through, you have told us you have a home prepared for us with you, that you're going to move in here with us, that you're going to give us crowns, and you're going to give us a new name that only you and each one of us will know personally because it's, an, it's, it's, it's a name that reflects our experience with you. And then, Lord, you have invited us to share the throne with you. Oh, Father, it's too much. Thank you for a love that just would not let us go. And, Lord, help us in turn to look at others the same, that you love them every bit as much as you do us. And may we be faithful to invite them to your heavenly home too and reveal to them a love, a God who does love, who forgives our sinful past and has promised us a new life in Jesus. We thank you for this. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.